You are listening to the Worlding Podcast, where we explore the relationship of how we are both shaping and being shaped by our surroundings. The podcast traces interconnections by inviting each episode's guest to pass on the mic to someone who has influenced their world. And now, here's your host, dance artist Renee Schadler. Hello, and welcome to the Welding Podcast, where today we complete our second series. My guest is dance artist and community process facilitator, Julia Metzer-Traber, who is joining us from Virginia, USA, where she works and lives as part of a community project and farm called The Rhizome. Thank you for being part of the program, Julia. Thank you so much, Renee. I'm glad to be here. You were recommended by Zwazi Mayers-Clark, who in the previous episode, spoke about his personal migration history from Jamaica to the USA and then to Germany, the diaspora and his understanding of humans' connection to land. We're going to follow on today with that conversation, shifting hands now over to you in this string figure. And it would be great to hear a little bit about your research into the racialization held within bodies and how that can expand to incorporate a more than human kind of welding. So I can hear the birds in the background. I have an image of a large tree with a rhizome root network underneath. Can you share perhaps some impressions about where you are right now, Julia? Yeah, I am under a large tree, um, a black willow tree. And I'm out looking out at, at a lot of rolling hills of farmland, as well as some, <laughs> some small houses that um, people in my community are building so that we have enough housing for everyone. We're experimenting with lots of different kinds of housing. And, um, and I'm here on lands that were indigenous, indigenously stewarded lands for centuries and then were lands that were um where people were enslaved or people who were just thinking about hearing about Zwazi and and his experience of diaspora um reflecting on how right here in this beautiful place that is so lush with green right now I can smell the lilacs beside me a huge bursting bush of lilacs and at the same time as all of this lush resilience, there's this deep, quiet, but also loud undertone of the histories of this land and the also deeply violent histories of this land. There were people who are now the most American there can be, the people who are African-American or in this country consider themselves black um, who were brought over against their will and were enslaved here and were enslaved by British people on these lands and, and they stewarded them and they cared for them and they knew these lands better than anyone else. And their histories and stories are really deeply present here as I sit and look out and marvel at the green. Mm. It reminds me also of 
the first episode of this series where we chatted to Eula Fleel about co-creating with the presence of ghosts. Mm. And I wonder as you expand time in this gorgeous way of thinking about the past and then the present and the sensations that are coming to you as we speak, if you also have this moment of communing with ghosts and how their presence affects you um, as you sit and, you know, are on this daily level and on the earth level connecting with the ground. Yeah. I try to really listen. When I first moved here, it, it's sort of the, the haunting or the, the presence of the ghosts, maybe, of the people who, who dwelled here against their will, but then were the deep listening stewards of this land. It took me some weeks and months to fully understand the energy that I was feeling both like a deep attraction and almost responsibility to being here in right relationship with the more than human world and the land. And then also with, with the human world, it took me a while to really realize what I was feeling, what that energetic pull was. And in some ways, actually, it reminded me of my experience in Berlin, um, because as someone who is Jewish and German, I, I felt the haunting when I went to Berlin eight, no, no, 10 years ago now when I moved to Berlin, I felt like I felt the blood, the pulse of generations of people in the cobblestones of the streets and in the buildings and in the gray and the shadows and in the light and in the lakes and everywhere I walked and stepped and it was a particular haunting of which I was both kind of descended from the perpetrators and the victims, if we can ever create such a binary. And in fact, I couldn't because those were both within my body. And then being here, um, it was a new kind of haunting for me because I'm not from the South. I had never lived on lands where... Um, African-American people were enslaved. And so coming here and discovering that I've just had layers upon layers of unpeeling my ideas of who I am and what I'm responsible for in terms of the land, in terms of the more than human world, in terms of generations of, of repair work and healing work. You know, I think that's what it is. This past that is so present here in this fertile soil calls me into a lifelong commitment or perhaps beyond my life as well to healing these intergenerational wounds that live in the soils and in these trees that, that span gener human generations. Mm. I just wanted to pick up also on this word of responsibility because I think perhaps the listeners and myself often think of that with this sense of doom or mm. guilt or shame. I'm Australian and a white Australian, so I definitely inherit a lot of colonizing guilt. And I just wanted to add that a beautiful 
philosopher and thinker Donna Haraway, who's been also ghosting in some way, this podcast speaks about response ability mm-hmm. as a way also to make it affirmative. And I really appreciate that because there is a response and then there is an ability to transform that response and bring it in to action or inaction you know it's also a very big question whose action is it to take and whose action is it to hold space I think yeah yeah I love that reiteration of the responsibility I love that because to respond is to be in relationship I think a reactivity is when we have no choice and when we're not actually listening, we move from an automatic place and that feels more connected to a guilt or a shame that has consumed us. And responsibility is, is a relationship. It's seeing and hearing and coming into dialogue and relationship to be able to move into response. And I've gotten very excited and curious about the possibility of, of reparations, of, of giving back land, of redistributing wealth, of giving up power and status in society as a healing practice, as not something, uh, not some scary self-flagellation, but what if it's almost delicious and and allows us, what I've really experienced is what if it, it allows us to actually be more human and release so much of the binds that we built around our hearts, around our awareness, around our bodies, our senses, to be able to be a part of such a profoundly dehumanizing and life-exploiting system. And so there's so much liberation in that ability to respond and to shift and to give up and to give over. Um, So I'm very excited about that, even though it's very messy and complicated, because as we're really in the thick of it right now here in the U.S. and in the communities and in the projects and organizations I'm a part of, how we really give up and give over land and money and power to each other when we're all so wounded and so in pain and our structures are still created with the fabric of the exploitative systems that we're trying to disentangle ourselves from, it's, it can be very mucky and very painful. Um, but I, I feel at the core of it, the healing power of this disentangling. Mm. Maybe you could speak a little bit also to the Rhizome project because I feel like it's a very Mm. concrete example of how those things manifest and those desires manifest. Like I love that you talk also about pleasure and deliciousness and I think it's not about taking something lightly but it's about tasting all of it and I think that's something also in the Worlding podcast is choosing to look at these issues from an artistic perspective and how then your dance practice and the choreographic organization of bodies or awareness of body then also informs perhaps the community you're a part of or practices in a very tangible way. Yeah. 
thank you for that invitation to reflect on the deliciousness too of the community um, and it as an artistic project because I think some I've really had quite a learning curve in my life over the last four years since I moved here onto this land. And I think part of it was I came in with this responsibility, maybe not, maybe more reactive than responsive, right? Maybe it was more of a reactivity than a responsibility um, where I felt, I felt so tight, constricted, bound by my political obligation to figure out the best way to to shift the owning relationships with this land and to do reparations here and to build radical beloved community here across race and across class and it's a very it's become a very white area around here even though it was um it was not historically and that is not um, a neutral history. And, um, and so I felt, I felt like I had to resist the surroundings and resist the flow, the organic building of what would happen here, just um, kind of on its own because of how deeply segregated our society can be. And so I was very tight and I was also very doing oriented. I was organizing a lot with... Um, with different movement organizations in the Black Lives Matter ecosystem in DC and um, trying to connect this land and make it useful and make it important sort of for the change that I knew needed to happen in the world. And actually it was through many of my community members um, who now have been committed to each other for multiple years and are here for the long haul. We'll see what that looks like, but who really called me in and challenged me around this sense of doing and productivity and actually even this sort of activist bent that had that that out of which I lost my sense of pleasure in the artistic and sensual possibility of healing and reconnection. And so actually I'm thinking specifically of my beloveds Ray and Juan um, and they come from two very different backgrounds. Ray is a, is a white woman who grew up in a very multiracial community. And Juan is a black man who grew up in a, um, grew up in the city in DC in a, um, in the midst of the crack epidemic. And he wound up spending 14 years in prison. And, um, I met him a few years after he got out and he has lived they have both lived very different lives than I have and very different lives from each other. But what drew us to each other was this profound sense of something else is possible and a kind of faith in a, in the process of being together differently with deep listening and really slowing down from the doing, um, which to me is really life as art. And it's actually quite terrifying when it's no longer within the bounds of a project, when I'm not doing something that has the container of a grant or the recognition of that or a beginning and an end, but actually is just how we're trying to live our lives. We continuously are sort of unpacking the motivation from the external gaze and from the 
value of, of productivity or of individual success or even creativity, um, to just kind of the creativity of being in life itself. And, and it's an ongoing arc that I'm deeply still learning and learning from and sinking into more and more, allowing more and more maybe. Yeah. Wow. It's also like, in a way, it almost sounds fantastical because you've managed to step outside of this system because I think a lot of people mm. also are bound to income and perhaps also in different locations where they don't have access to such communities. Is there a way that you've been able to achieve that that you could share with us? Like, is it a self-sustaining farm? I know it's quite a large community and you have even a school there. Maybe you could talk a little bit about the infrastructure and how you manage to be within this system that is sounds very free from this capitalist life that a lot of us are leading at the moment. Mm, yeah, so um, it is complicated still. We live on a part of a bigger piece of land that is still owned by my partner's grandmother. And a little bit farther, uh, you might not know acres, but, <laughs> but um, about 20 acres away or 40 acres away is um, a big production farm. And that is that serves many farmers markets and has a CSA which means community stands for community supported agriculture, which just means many families sign up to get a certain, to get a box of vegetables every week. And, um, and so this land is a part of that. And we're in the process of turning it into a community land trust so that it's no longer individually owned and can't be developed in perpetuity, but that's an ongoing process. We've already been in it for a couple of years. Um, so one thing is this incredible privilege to be able to live on this land um, that is also in agriculture, agricultural easement. So it's much cheaper um, to live on than land that is supposed to be residential. And multiple of people in our household, in our, in our little community, work on the farm. And so that's a source of income. And uh, we do a lot of exchanges for food and eat the seconds. And then we do a lot of resource sharing. Um, I make money off of the farm. I do, I facilitate conflict processes, community healing processes, strategic and community visioning processes, and organizational change processes with organizations and communities of all kinds in the area and across the country. And so that's how I make money. And one of our community members actually runs a uh, music organization that does beautiful classical music concerts in people's homes and streets and in all sorts of unusual places. And that's how he makes money. And, and then we share our resources um, and we try and create systems of, of collective buying. And we also cook a lot together and we make a lot of our own things. We learn how to, a lot of folks build and we build most of our own houses and infrastructure and um, we're learning more and more skills and trades to be able to take care of ourselves in that way. 
Um, and it's still very imperfect. And we're figuring out what do we res- what do we share resources around? And then how can people feel most liberated within that too, so they don't feel bound to it and can't have their own individual space or make their own choices? Um, what are the how do we balance individuality and freedom and expression and choice with kind of collective support and collective intention? Um, and that's a constant navigation. And we actually tend toward having fewer rules. We have a logistics meeting every week where we meet together and say, what does this week look like? How do we share childcare? How do we share land stewardship? Um, how do we share cooking the meals? What do, and we sign up for things and discuss what else there is. And, um, and we have one day a week where we have um, heart circle, we call it, where we go either go deeper into connection and relationship with each other about just what's on our heart and getting to know each other, or we do, and we do feedback and, and, and talk through conflicts that are coming up and, and use other modalities like breath and movement and song to support us and massage. Um, And so through all of that, we, we lean deeply into relationships and communication, um, and have fewer rules. And sometimes that's been really hard for people and very disorienting and, and even painful. It, it's, it's a painful transition actually out of capitalism, out of racialized capitalism. It's, it's scary to slow down so much and scary to lean into trust with one another so much and not have the kinds of security systems and network and of that we're taught to believe in, like having our bank accounts and our insurance externally. Instead, we're investing in each other and investing in these um, these less visible networks with one another. And so there's a there's a risk there. Mm. As I'm thinking it through, like very pragmatically, like I'm sure also a few listeners are going, okay, so when I'm tired on a Friday night and I want to close my door and not go to the heart circle, how does that feel, you know? Um, And these very like day-to-day happenings, I think there is kind of this desire and pleasure in the expansion of allowing the space, allowing the honesty to be there. And I think having had contact with these communities over time but always being outside like I've never fully committed myself to living within a community structure in that way it's also incredibly uh, related to time and this relationship to time and it's interesting we were talking about ghosts earlier and the enslaved peoples from West Africa that came and worked with the land and then I thought oh there's another ghost this grandmother who's left this land and someone's inherited it that's now being shared with people of different races and different inherited wealth um yeah I really feel this this spaciousness coming forth that also has a labour in it. It's not necessarily a privilege to um, be in certain situations. I definitely myself struggle a lot with the word privilege um, and what that means and, yeah, labour also. Like what is work and how do we define it and what is the work that's calling you right now? How do you balance that yourself within the community? how do I balance myself? It's a great question. I'm also a mother. I have an almost four-year-old 
And so my boundaries of what myself is and what my time is and what my body is have changed profoundly. There's a certain loss and there's so much gain. There's definitely, I, I like the haunting coming back here because there's actually a lot, there is a lot of death in a certain understanding of the individual that's so deeply baked into our worldview in Western society. Um, so deeply. I mean, it is the very, it is everything, everything grows from it, really. Um, and it's frightening and destabilizing to really put it into question. And and I go back and forth. I, I have at times in my life really romanticized sort of becoming fully permeable and becoming one with everything and, and sort of losing my boundaries in some way. Um, and in other ways over the last few years, maybe because of becoming a mother too, in some ways I feel much more boundaried ironically while I'm living in this community. And so in some ways, it's a beautiful practice to have to just authentically name when I'm when and how I'm needing time and to carve that out. And not from just a reactive unconscious place or a place of avoidance, but to really have to do the spiritual work to understand and choose and and sort of with curiosity, explore my changing permeability in different moments. And know that I can close the door and have healthy enough relationships that we can talk about that and or not talk about it and that it's okay, like that there's an acceptance and of really, how, like how can we have such communal intentions and have a true allowance of diversity of ways for people to live and express and spend their days and even engage? And it's a, it's a big question because you know, there's also then balancing the community labor and responsibility and like, and, and contributing. And if, you know, half of the people just totally did their own thing and didn't support at all, it would be really hard too. So how to hold that intention of, of a great deal of diversity with this intention for community working towards each other and in relationship. And I definitely have times where I'm like, I cannot see anybody else. And I just want to be alone in my room. I did that yesterday. In fact, I had a day without my daughter and I just put my earplugs in <laughs> and I just kind of collapsed and let myself collapse. And I saw a community member in another moment in the day and she asked me how, what my day had been like. And I told her and she just celebrated with me. She was so excited that I'd had some time by myself and, um, and so I think there's that if we can celebrate with each other, the things that are actually nourishing for each other and healing. And then I believe, I hope, this is my hope belief, <laughs> that then we're more nourished and have more capacity to be responsible to each other, to the land, and also to the future generations as we're trying to heal, not just ourselves, but hopefully through healing ourselves in relation to each other in the land doing some of this big, big social healing work because our society is so deeply founded on, on traumatic wounds and on violence. And so I invest in this because it's a part of this bigger web of healing. 
Um, and I feel that. And sometimes I lose it, but sometimes I feel it very clearly. I can also hear the wind behind you and there were some planes going overhead and there's birds. And I also feel that these other entities feel your existence as well. Like this has been kind of a part of worlding, thinking about how we're shaping and being shaped by our surroundings. And often in these settings where we have contact with a lot of human voices and obviously there's an understanding of language and shared ways of feeling coming back to feeling you know um, people that feel things when they're hot and cold and perhaps a plant doesn't have the same reaction or perhaps the plane that just traveled above your head doesn't um, maybe just in terms of these desires and pleasures you've been talking about in the human community, how are they extending outwards and being reciprocated by the land that you're on and the plane overhead perhaps, <laughs> but it's a little bit of a stretch, but maybe we can go there in our imagination. <laughs> <laughs> I just see some, <laughs> there's a plant far in the farthest point of my view. There's a plant that is dancing in a way that I was certain it was a human dancing with it, but it's not. It's just uh, swaying back and forth, and then each individual leaf is moving at its own tempo in this way that is very deceiving of my eye. <laughs> so funny. What a funny moment to notice that. But actually, as I'm looking, that's a tree that we planted last year here. Hmm. I've never planted trees in a place before and been able to then taste the fruit of them. And that has been happening. Yeah, so let me reflect on your question. How am I leaning into the more than human world and voices that are surrounding me? And how are they maybe impacting this community process, this healing? Yeah, absolutely. Definitely this reciprocal process I'm very interested in. Um, Exactly. So when you plant the tree, then it gives fruit, which you've been able to taste and is perhaps delicious. I keep coming back to that word. Yeah. And then, of course, there is this large diversity of different people within your community. Yeah. And then the history within the soil. And perhaps also even this history within the soil, like you've spoken very much about the lineage of bodies. And then I also wonder about the lineage within the soil of being farmed in different ways, of different hands tending to it? Yeah, actually, a certain portion of the soil is actually called the legacy. Just like humans have legacies, the soil has a legacy. And that reflects its nourishment over generations. Um, and something strange about this soil here is that is in, it is incredibly rich soil. And I don't, it, a lot of soil around here was destroyed by the kinds of farming practices, um, the extractive practices that were just purely to, to earn as much money as quickly as possible. Um, and it, maybe it, it slowly 
has been recuperating over the last hundred or so years um, since it wasn't farmed in such an extractive way. I'm not quite sure. I have a lot of curiosity around that. Um, but the reciprocity of this land, I would say, is in the fruiting of these trees that we've planted and in this investment we've made in it. Um, but also, I think just this steadiness and incredible resilience um, that is just a constant teacher and this bigger, more robust and supple container for all of the pain and all of the conflict. Because even just in these four years that I've been here, I mean, let alone the deep conflicted history before me, but just even the four years I've been here, we've had very painful waves of conflict and people have come to this land and it has brought up profound trauma in relation to their histories and, and, and kind of tapped into a deeper, almost schizophrenia of our time and of the incomprehensible violence that so much of what we live was built on. And yet still through it all, the land just keeps birthing and generating and regenerating. And even if it's mowed, a tree will come up from a seed the next year. And it's, it's slow, quiet, calm, and also sometimes wildly, gorgeously dramatic resilience is, um, a really powerful teacher if we remember to lean into her and and quiet down and really listen. Oh, this little creature behind you is also saying hello. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you say this really beautiful about this worldview focused on extracting, especially the labour resources and the minority groups and yeah, how we can open ourselves up to being in the world in different ways and shifting this perception of self. And I know that in your work you are very focused on these issues through community transformation. And I wonder if there's something that a listener could embody now as a way of practising this, perhaps without the possibility to travel to Virginia um, and even though I feel like we've really <laughs> teleported ourselves there through this conversation, yeah, but just if there's something that you could give us almost like a parting gift to embody your work. Hmm. Yeah, I do have a practice that I, that for me is kind of the embodiment of this lifelong practice of being in relation, in human relation, in relation to the more than human world. Um, and also of responsibility, actually, of moving with consciousness and knowing with what we are aligning to move. And kind of the, what I talked about earlier, the disintegrating boundarylessness, and then also 
knowing what to recollect toward movement with chosen and temporary boundaries, a kind of choice of permeability as well. So wherever you are, whether you're sitting or standing, find a position, a place that's comfortable for you. And I invite you to to begin to sink, to sink down into your chair or into the ground if you're lying and dissolve. Dissolve completely into a liquid as if you were not solid anymore so that no part of you is being held. Maybe it's almost like a block of ice warmed by the sun where you're melting and melting and melting, releasing your weight to gravity, releasing your weight completely, pouring and dispersing. Imagine yourself melting into the gravity that is pulling you down, releasing all control of your body. With each exhale, melt further, dissolve, disintegrate. Now start to notice that this dissolved puddle is still a body. And start to disassemble it with your mind, imagining it in bigger pieces. At first, it can be divided into large pieces, large parts. Maybe these are the easiest to imagine, as if you were a pile of bones sitting on the chair or lying on the ground. Feel your feet your skull, your clavicle, your arm bones, your hand bones, your spine with all its vertebrae, your pelvis with its wings and its sacrum, your femurs, your kneecaps. Feel yourself as the pile of bones wrapped in skin that you are. And now slowly, with attention on your next inhale, Try to move. Notice that it might be hard to move. How can you move if you are separate pieces? What needs to happen to initiate and enact a response, a movement? What needs to be gathered? On your exhale, relax. And on your inhale, Move, maybe just a couple of pieces together. See if you can allow as much of you to be disassembled as possible. Well, just a piece of you, a part of you, a section, a coalition of you assembles toward movement. Exhale, release, and inhale, move. I invite you to go on exploring this for a few moments. And I'll continue guiding. 
Notice as you move and find stillness, the shifting relationships among the parts of your body. And now notice the external items that are just as much objects as the bones of which you are made. Notice your arm bones relationship to your chair bone or the desk or the floorboard. Is one bone to another as different as one bone to the arm of a chair? Notice how this might change which coalitions are created to move towards a response or a movement or a gesture. Can you gather with a non-bone object as if it were another bone? When you're ready, return to stillness. Let yourself collapse back into the chair to the floor. Take a deep breath. Now try to disassemble your body even further beyond the separation of bones to a deeper, more minute level. See how detailed your imagination can be. Remain with something you can really sense. Perhaps you're able to imagine your body down to the cellular level, at which point a bone cell is no longer so different from a blood cell or a muscle cell or a chair cell. Now with each inhale from a disassembled swirl of cells, try to move. Bring your attention to an area of cells, an assembly. Assemble them just enough to accomplish the movement, but no more. And on the exhale, release the assembly. Disassemble. Inhale, move. Exhale, disassemble. These can be the minutest of movements almost like a sculpture arising from a sand dune and then returning back into the sand or a wave arising out of the ocean and returning back to the ocean. See if you can stay with the image, inhaling, moving, exhaling, disassembling, releasing. try exploring this for a while at different levels of detail of disintegration and when you're ready return to collapse and you can practice oscillating your attention back and forth between different levels of assembly big and gross or minute and subtle in relation to all of the living and non-living objects, bodies, beings, chairs, structures around you. And as you practice, and after you practice, notice what you notice. Reflect on what you've been through and how your body feels now. How you feel now as an identity and as a body as you move through the world. 
to practice this every day. Thank you. Well, that was a delicious gift, Julia. <laughs> I feel... Yeah. Mm. Something shifted. Thank you. My pleasure. Mm. It's amazing that the body is such an incredible tool. Like, I definitely understand how you've moved through your journey of being a dance artist and now being a part of the Rhizome community and, yeah, how all these different experiences entangle and take part in this root system that's above the ground and below the ground and, yeah, very rich. So thank you so much for being a part of the Worlding podcast and I'm sure listeners will continue I will definitely continue to practice deassembling and with these very vivid images and experiences you've shared of your journey, not only in Virginia, but also before that in Berlin. So thank you. I wish you a beautiful day and please stay in touch. Thank you so much. It's been really a joy and an honor to be a part of this string figure. <laughs> This brings us to the end of the second string figure for Worlding. And I encourage you to join us for series three, which will begin next month when we return to Berlin to speak with sound artist and environmental researcher Samuel Hertz. Thank you for listening to the Worlding podcast. Gefördert durch die Beauftragte der Bundesregierung für Kultur und Medien im Programm Neustart Kultur. Hilfsprogramm des Tanzen des Dachverband Tanz Deutschland.